Thanks. <clears throat> it's really exciting to be here in Malmo. Thanks for having me, and it's exciting to talk about the best interfaces, no interface. You know, there's a lot of great things to celebrate in technology today. We're going to hear an awesome presentation after mine. Um, but if you think back in our own lifetime, I mean, we used to carry around 100-pound television sets, um, and now instead we have thin, lightweight displays. We, we've seen processors be able to commute, compute things tens of thousands of times faster in our own life. But along the way, a terrible trend has emerged, and it's taking us away from what really matters. Now, I work in tech, so I'm partially to blame for this awful trend, and a lot of you probably work in technology too, and um, it could be part of the problem as well. But I think if you listen closely today, you can hear how we can move past this awful trend of today and build a better tomorrow. Now, I'm a UX designer. That means I do everything I can to understand your common, everyday problems and then use technology to solve them. Right now, I do that at Samsung Design America, as was just mentioned, where we create new technology to solve people's problems. And before, I did it at Cooper, which is a design consultancy in San Francisco. We'd work with startups to Fortune 50 and solve everyday problems for their customers. I consider it my goal to solve people's problems. But I think as an industry, we're losing sight of that goal. I think as an industry, we're riding a wave that takes us away from solving problems. And what's so fascinating about this trend is that it came from something so good. But 40 years ago, we could build smaller components. That meant, we, that meant we could build smaller computers, desktop computers, and we brought them into the workplace. But we forced people into this awful user experience. We forced people to think and act in a language written by programmers for programmers. They had to spew out commands like dir just to get their everyday job done. But then we got this, Xerox Labs ideas of a window, an icon, a menu, and a pointer. We got our first mainstream graphical user interface. It was so great. We could point and click, drag and drop. What we saw is what we got. And about 10 years later, when we could start touching those interfaces, it was even better. But today, our love for the digital interface has gotten completely out of control. It's become our answer to everything. How do you design a better car driving experience? Well, you slap an interface on it. You put a screen in the middle of your speedometer, so instead of checking how fast you're driving, you can check your Facebook and your Twitter. How do you design a better train station experience? Well, you may recognize this. This is the Malmo train station with a 50-inch touchscreen in it. And my girlfriend tried to figure out why it would exist, but after tapping and tapping and tapping and a whole hand there, another whole hand gesture, we couldn't actually ever get it to work. <laughs> How do you design a better toilet? This is the iPoddy. It's a children's toilet with a screen on it. You know, somewhere along the way, we got confused. We started thinking user experience was the same thing as user interface. And we started trying to solve problems with screens. And it's led to our lives being surrounded by screens. Our desk isn't good enough if it doesn't have at least two monitors. Our smartphone isn't decent if it's not at least four inches. I and mean, we have over 1.2 million mobile apps. It's come to the point 
where our greatest minds aren't advancing science or taking us into space. They're working at Facebook on ads for all of these screens. I mean, there used to be a time not long ago when our lives were filled with paper, and we dreamed of a paperless world. Now, instead, our lives are filled with screens, and I think we should dream of a screenless world. I actually think that the best interface is no interface, and I'd like to show you how we can get there. <clears throat> I've created three principles. They're not about things, but they're about us, because I think it's us that we should be designing for. The first principle is to embrace typical processes instead of screens. Recently, a couple of car manufacturers have released smartphone apps. They're supposed to be an improvement on the car key, and they advertise about different things like unlocking your car doors. And while this looks good in blogs and magazines, let's just talk about how that really works. So I walk up to my car and I'm looking to unlock my car doors. And I'm looking to unlock my car doors, but instead um, I pull out my smartphone. I'm looking to unlock my car doors and I wake up my phone. I'm looking to unlock my car doors and I slide to unlock. I need to unlock my car doors and now I enter my passcode, which I can never get right. <laughs> I'm looking to unlock my car doors and now I swipe through a sea of icons trying to figure out and remember what color my app might have been. There it is at the bottom. I need to unlock my car doors but I tap to launch the app, and the app loads. And it starts off with this incredible map of North America. <laughs> and I'm looking to unlock my car doors, and there's an option there at the bottom. It's kind of hard to see, but it says control in the middle, and there's no way to really know if that's going to work, but let's just tap it and find out. We get this list. And I'm looking to lock my car doors, and one of the options there says lock, unlock. So that's probably going to do the trick. Go ahead and tap on that. See what happens. I get this slider um, where one direction is lock and the other direction is unlock. But I slide it to the right, and <clears throat> now it says data transfer successful, but... My car doors actually did unlock, right? So this is the app-based, screen-based thinking we all use, right? And we need to get away from it. So this is not an improvement on the car key. And we need to sort of think about what's really happening here, right? There was me, right, walking up to my car. There were all the steps I needed to do with the digital interface. And then there was my goal, to actually unlock the car door. Or open it, really. And let's say we embrace typical processes and we get rid of the digital interface. We end up with something like this. It's kind of crazy. It's a first principle that's really challenging. But about 13 or so years ago, in the late 90s, before we got caught up with smartphones and apps, Mercedes-Benz actually did this. They created a key system that when you grab your door handle, a low-frequency radio signal gets sent out, and if your keys are in your pocket or your purse, the doors just open. So for the common everyday user, they just pull the door handle and they get to the thing that they want to really be doing. You know, the entire automotive industry is filled with screen-based thinking. This is another app that was featured in AOL's Autoblog. It won an award at CES. But it's revered because we're used to screen-based thinking. We're used to looking at wireframes. It looks like it's easier to use. 
But instead of screens, let's start with insights and let's look at one of these actions, opening the trunk. Right? This is what someone looks like when they're carrying something to the trunk of their car. This person happens to be Mitt Romney, but let's just say he represents the common everyday person. <laughs> He's got his hands full. He's carrying a heavy object. He probably doesn't want to put it down, throw it at his back, pull out his smartphone, go through all those steps. And a design team at Ford realized that even those hands are full, his feet are free, so they created a sensor that goes to the bottom of a bumper that looks for a shin and then a foot kick, and it opens the trunk of your car. You know, good experience design isn't good screens. It's good experiences. The second principle is to leverage computers instead of catering to them. Computers are incredibly smart things, and they can calculate incredibly complex stuff. But we create systems like computers are three-year-olds, and so they say weird things to us like this. This is a real error message. And it happened because of this bizarre relationship that we have with computers. See, we create computer systems so that we serve computers. We have to memorize countless passwords with an uppercase letter, a lowercase letter, a number. We have to remember our best friend's childhood's dog's name. <clears throat> we have to search for simple information through complex databases. But it, worst of all, we're taken away from the stuff we actually want to be doing. So I say let's reverse this relationship. Let's have computers serve us. You know, computers should do things that we don't want to do or that we don't even know we should do. In the 2008 American presidential campaign, Barack Obama told an audience that they could, we, America could reduce their dependency on foreign oil if people better inflated their car tires. The idea was mocked by the opposing party who sent out these tire pressure gauges with Obama's energy plan printed on them. But it turns out on this particular issue, he was right. We can actually save gas by having our tires properly inflated, thereby reducing our dependency on foreign oil. And not only is it better for our wallets and politically, but also it's safer, right? If you have your car tires at the right air pressure, it's a better, it's safer on the road. So what does a major tire manufacturer do about this? Well, Goodyear has an app, and it lets you do amazing things like print and email brochures, but fortunately, Goodyear and their innovation lab has started to think beyond screens. And they've created this. This is a self-inflating tire. It has a little part to it that checks if the tire is at the right air pressure. And if it isn't, while you're driving, a little lever opens, and it fills the tire with the right amount of air pressure. You know, when we serve computers, we have to memorize passwords. But when we create computer systems to serve us, they help us do things like reduce our dependency on foreign oil, save money on gas, and be safer generally. The third principle is to create a system for individuals. Everyone in this room is unique. You have your own way of doing something. But that's not how we build software. We build software based on averages. We, it takes a really smart team to try to figure out what most people want to do most of the time. There's a different way of looking at this. By utilizing data science, we can think a little bit differently. Right now, we use data science in, in interfaces in some ways in user experience by doing things like LinkedIn recommendations or Google, better Google AdWords. But when we get rid of an interface, we can do so much more with data science. 
You know, interfaces force us to be reactive, but with no UI, we can be proactive. This is early sense. It's a sensor that's made for hospitals. It slides under the patient's bed, and it reads their vital signs. So patients can just lie in the bed. They don't have to be hooked up to wires. Instead, they can just lie down as they normally would, and their heart rate and breathing rate is tracked through the mattress. Not only is it great to just lie down, but also the patient can be in the position they need to be in. But I really think early sense is most fascinating when it embraces the third principle, and it adapts to individuals. See, right now, most hospital equipment is reactive. After something happens, after your heart beats, after you breathe, the machine reports about it. And then when something goes wrong and an alarm sounds, it just goes generically out into the hospital. And sometimes, in some cases, those alarms can be missed. Actually, the Boston Globe found that in the United States from 2005 to 2010, over 200 people died in hospital care because their alarms weren't heard. But early sense is a different approach. It gets to know you. It understands your patterns on a personal level. And when something is wrong, when something on your individual pattern is wrong, it alerts the right doctor at the right time. Of course, this has been studied, and at Harvard Medical, it, it was found that the early sense system could help doctors identify problems hours ahead of where they normally would have seen a problem. You know, we're all different, and no UI can embrace that kind of reality. So I first published The Best Interfaces, No Interface in 2012, and it's gotten all sorts of reactions on Twitter, it's been published in different blogs, BBC. Google has actually started to use some of the phrases that I've coined, like no interface, and recently started talking about screenless computing. Certainly not the first to criticize interfaces. Other people have done it, Mark Weiser, Donald Norman in the past. But along the way of rejuvenating this kind of discussion has been a lot of interesting discourse. People have levied different kind of criticisms that are really fascinating. One thing people have wondered about that people are afraid about are these kinds of automatic solutions. Designers in general are afraid of automatic solutions, and they should be. They're really hard to get right. But when you get them right, they provide an awesome benefit. This is an automatically deploying airbag. Totally great thing. Right? We all live with automatic sliding doors. We don't even think about them. But I think the most interesting automatic solution is automatic transmission. A car is one of the most dangerous places you can be. I mean, can you imagine being in a boardroom presenting an idea about an automatic solution in the most dangerous place we often are? It's kind of crazy, right? And car lovers, they hate this thing. But it turns out in some cases, when you nail an automatic solution, people love it. In the United States, by 2009, 91% of all cars sold had automatic transmission. Another thing people talk about is failure. What happens when these magical systems fall apart? What do we do? And, you know, any good system, I think, thinks about failure. I mean, even automatic doors, right? They have a fail-safe if the power goes out. In a lot of cases, you can just push to open them. But another thing people are doing is they're using no UI as their front and a UI as a backup. I think that's a nice shift. It's a reversal of how we think of systems today. 
For example, the early sense system that I talked about that identifies individual patterns has a place where doctors can go to study vitals to make sure that the system is doing what it's supposed to be doing. You know, there's so much to talk about with no interface. And so I started to work on this website, nointerface.com. And there you can download my slides, an essay that I've written, and some challenges. But for now, that's it. And thank you all for your time.